0: Brought to you by CD Fishing USA, the North American distributor for composite development fly rods and accessories. 40 years of Kiwi ingenuity and graphite technology now available at cd-fishing.us or your local CD USA dealer. Follow us on Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook. And remember to go fishing. Here's your host, the Carnops, and this is the February Room.
2: Like any sport, fly fishing goes through trends, largely driven by anglers' desire to catch more fish or improve a technique. And one of the biggest trends in fly fishing right now is what is known as Czech nymphing or Euro nymphing. And we're fortunate today to have one of the world's leading experts on this tactic with us, Jason Lieverst. Welcome to the show.
3: Thanks, Justin. It's good to be here, man.
2: Well, excellent. Uh, You have traversed the globe as a competitive fly angler, and I'm sure you've got uh, a good story or two teed up for us today.
3: I've got a few, yeah. Um, I've been thinking about really a good story for you guys, and I think the, the best one would be to go way, 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 way back, as they say, to really when I first started competing. I guess as a boy of around, I don't know, 14 years old. Um, I'd already competed from a boat, you know, floating around on reservoirs. And I got an invitation from a, a very large reservoir in the north of England to take part in a, a bank fishing competition, uh, obviously, fishing from the bank. So, nervously, I accepted it. Um, and the reason I was nervous, because there was, I don't know, it's a very large reservoir. There were probably 150 guys out there in total some of these guys were you know the big names in bank fishing competitions and there's little old me at 14 years old in my first event and uh, we showed up on the day extremely nervous and you know I had no idea what I was doing and you know we all met at the lodge at the reservoir and um, all these big names were talking in their latest sage rods and you know going back a long time in the UK you know sage was a a huge, huge thing to have. I didn't. <laughs> I think I think the rod I was using was a, a Fenwick Iron Feather, if I remember rightly, which was a great rod. But anyway, we, we all met up, they did the draw, and I drew the worst peg, and everybody was giggling away, you know? And the peg that I drew was right in front of the lodge, so obviously that was the, you know, the place that got hammered the most throughout the normal fishing week. So everybody got situated, and I'm standing there on the bank, thinking, "What on earth am I going to do here?" And they shot the shotgun up into the air, and <laughs> I decided that I was going to tie on three flies, and I put a, a Type Three sink line through the rings, and <laughs> I pulled out the the three streamers that I had in my box at the time. Probably um, I can't even remember what they were called, but I remember the colours. There was a a white frizzy one, an orange frizzy one, and a Chartreuse frizzy one. Let's call them frizzies. Okay. And and they had a, a brass bead on them. You know, we weren't using tungsten back in those days, obviously. So you know, I spaced them out about a meter, something like that apart, one on the point and a couple of tags, and I was like, well, hell, I'm here now, I may as well give it a go. So I threw out the line the best I could and you know let it sink down a little bit and know, I guess I probably waited 25, 30 seconds and I started to retrieve it. And on probably the fifth or sixth pull, I felt contact. And I'm like, wow, I got a fish. Oh, my God. You know, so I lift up the rod tip and as nervous as, as can be and trying to get this fish in. Back in these days, you know, it was it was killing the fish and there was no glory in trying to net them and release them. You know, it was all about putting them on the bank. So. I figured I'd, I'd drag the fish in and start walking backwards. And the first step back that I did, I felt another bump on the line. I'm like, "What? What's this? You know, what's, what's going on?" So sure enough, there's two fish hooked up on that one rig. So I continue to keep the rod tip open. I'm walking backwards, shaking like a leaf, and then bang, something else hit the line. I'm like, "Really?
2: No way!"
3: Yeah. So I walk these three fish out of the, the <laughs> reservoir onto the bank and introduced them to mr priest and you know in the first five minutes i've caught three fish so you know i'm i'm on now i'm focused you know it's like my god i'm i'm amazing i'm i'm a superstar and so i fished for another seven hours i never felt another bump and uh i'm thinking well (laughs) well that was fun you know so End of the day came. We all went up there, and I noticed that there was nobody walking up the bank with with any dead fish in a bag. And it turns out that by some unbelievable coincidence, those three fish that took that one setup were in fact the only three fish that had been caught that entire day. No way!
2: And you caught them on one cast on the I same. I caught them
3: on the first cast. I caught three fish, <laughs> and nobody had ever. They didn't even feel a bump. You know, there were no. Something weird. Anyway, that's that's my, introdu- my, my introduction to competitive bank fishing. And uh, I figured to myself, well, <laughs> if it's that easy, I may as well carry on. Obviously, it certainly wasn't that easy, but there you go. Yeah, that's like
2: uh, getting called up from the minor leagues and, and hitting a Grand Slam. Yeah, man, hit for <laughs> a cycle or something, in your first, uh, yeah, your first game—that's amazing, man! Wow, I've <laughs> never, uh, never heard of anybody catching three fish. You know, lots of us have caught two on a dry dropper rig or whatever, or a double net rig, but not three, and certainly not. Uh, wow, that's a heck of an introduction into competitive fly angling.
3: Yeah, that was uh, a good time. I, I got to say, it never happened again. So,
2: <laughs> and now you've served as captain. Um, of two different national teams, right? England and Holland, correct?
3: Yeah, um, at very different levels. Um, I captained an English youth team when I was, I guess, 16. Um, And I captained the Dutch national team at the highest international level in the European Championships in 2014.
0: And now a brief message from our sponsors. Here at CDUSA, we have owned nearly every brand of fly rod throughout our 30-year careers as guides and globetrotting anglers. When we discovered Composite Development's flagship fly rods, the XL2 and the ICT2, we uncovered a secret harbored by the Kiwis for four decades. Born from Japanese touré, CD's unique manufacturing process involves winding the graphite fibers inside the blank, negating heavy thread wraps at the end of each section creating a lighter and more durable fly rod. Check out the XLS-2 and the ICT-2 at your local CDUSA dealer or go to cd-fishing.us and remember to go fishing.
2: So the world of competitive fly fishing, it's not like bass fishing. It's it's still pretty much under the radar and um, a a lot of folks have never witnessed it and and don't really know uh, how the whole system works. Can you describe the general outline
3: of a fly fishing competition for us? Yeah, sure. So there are, to my knowledge at this time, uh, 38 federation members. Now, there's an organization called FIPS Moosh, uh, which roughly translated into English is the International Sport Fly Fishing Federation. Um, They're based out of Belgium. And they are the... Essentially, the governing body of, you know, as I say, the highest, um, the highest caliber, if you will, of international sport fly fishing. So, uh, competitive fly fishing, essentially. So, Fipsmoosh um, at this moment in time, obviously, COVID. Let's say COVID hadn't happened, but um, they organise a world fly, fly fishing championships. They organize a European fly fishing championships they organize the youth world fly fishing championships and as of very recently and it's about time really i guess uh, they are about to host the first female world fly fishing championships in Norway i believe it is later this year Um, alongside that they also have a world masters fly fishing championships which is For people over 50 years old. Yeah, as I say, there's 38, 39 federation countries involved. Um, That's, you know, Europeans, Americans, New Zealand, Australia, South Africa, you know, pretty much anywhere you can think of, uh, Mongolia included. And each individual federation country will have their own national fly fishing championships in order to select the best of their country to send them to. Uh, the World Fly Fishing Championships to represent their respective countries. Gotcha. So are you are you uh, schooling up your wife to get in on this? You know, we, we did discuss it. And funny you should mention that the, uh, who's now the first vice president, but a guy called Paul Vakermans, who's a, a wonderful human being. Uh, he was the president for, I think, two terms, eight years of Phipps Motion. He actually sent me a message not too long ago. He was <laughs> like... Is this something for Nicole? And I'm like, yeah. Well, you know, we've discussed it, but you know, we have a lot going on, and you know, five kids between us, and you know, it's a it's a it's a gigantic commitment to make. I know, obviously, speaking from experience, it's a, you know, it's an unpaid sport, and generally speaking, you know, you got to pay for everything yourself uh, for the most part. So yeah, we we kind of we kind of passed up on that one. <laughs>
2: Gotcha. It sounds like it's right up my alley. I specialize in unpaid activities.
3: <laughs> we work in fly fishing, right? So,
2: <laughs> yeah, and uh, and your wife is Nicole Darland, whom I met years ago um, through the television, uh, the outdoor television industry. She was the host of uh, a show that I produced, and uh, wow. we had a lot of fun. Um, traveled to a lot of cool places and and had a great time and it was awesome because uh you know last year she reached out to me and said that uh, you guys were were coming into the area and uh, we had a chance to go get out on the river we went down to the missouri and uh, and did a float and uh, and you kind of showed me what's up with the check nymph and thing um you know my first introduction the first time i guess i saw it was at uh, a, a competition here called the fly fishing masters that, uh, that production company that I used to work for put on and that wasn't um the type of competition that uh that you're accustomed to it was just kind of a no holds barred you could fish you know the guys were fishing dry flies and and they were mostly just guides from the Rocky Mountains or some guys from Pennsylvania um but Lance Egan was there and he was in the competition and so you know I was watching him fish and thinking to myself this doesn't look that much different than the high stick nymphing that I grew up doing. Um, Can you kind of describe for me what defines Euro-nymphing or Czech-nymphing, which, by the way, I understand was invented in Poland? Correct. (laughs) Just to throw
3: a curveball at everybody there. So, yeah, I'm probably going to get lynched um, by various Czech people that I know, but it was, in fact, I guess if you could say invented, uh, it was invented in Poland. Um, So, you know, for my Polish friends, yes, it is Polish-nymphing um but back back in those days it was a you know a regular nine foot five weight rod and they would have probably 12 inches of fly line out the top guide which would essentially uh, be used as the indicator Uh, so what they'd do they'd make these extremely heavy lead bodied bugs and cover them up in in dressing obviously and you know they'd short lob them upstream and they'd just track it back watching the the top 12 inches of fly line dangling out the top eye and that would be their indicator as I say so if that twitched or stopped or moved weirdly they'd set the hook and you know they rapidly discovered that that was a a really cool and effective way of pulling out a pile of fish in the shortest space of time possible and I think um we're probably going back to you know like the mid to late 80s you know the Poles won a world championships doing that technique Um, I believe the Czechs came second that year and they obviously watched what they were doing so they kind of took that technique and ran with it Um, and lo and behold Czech Nymphin was born and the Czechs were you know and still are for all intents and purpose uh, you know an incredibly successful team at world championship level they've won a lot Um, but kind of after that point Czech Nymphin polish nymphing whatever you want to call it of course many other teams started to see that this was an effective way of not only winning competitions but you know getting as many fish out of a beat as humanly possible in a three-hour period which is the timeline given to you for each session that you fish at championship level so they all started to put their own nuances into it the french started to mess around with longer rods and super long leaders and tiny Weighted flies, tungsten beads came along, smaller hooks and jig hooks came along. And then the Spaniards got involved and, you know, they're essentially the team to beat the French and the Spaniards these days. So really, you know, the Italians had their own put on it, uh, even the English and, and now the, the Americans. I mean, so I guess the term Czech nymphin, Polish nymphin is kind of obsolete for all intents and purposes. Um, and the European nymphing phenomenon, as it now is, is really a combination of all the, you know, the, the major five countries that have been successful at international level. Uh, so, you know, Poland, France, Italy, Spain, and of course, our Czech friends. Um, so it's kind of a a gumbo of European techniques, hence its, it's name European nymphing, I guess. Um, but yeah, I mean, we you know the technique itself you know there's no indicators being used um, for what we may know as an indicator a bobber or something of that nature you know we're not allowed to use split shot at competition level so all this technique has been built around the fundamental rules of international sport fly fishing you know so no bobbers no indicators um, you know no split shot so the weight is built into the fly by way of a tungsten bead and really the only indicator if you want to call it that that we have is generally what we refer to as a sighter uh, which is for all intents and purpose you know let's say a foot and a half two feet of fluorescent mono that's tied into the leader system just before you tie on your tippet and your flies and that's suspended above the water surface um, to make sure you can see it and it moves freely and essentially going back to the same principles as the, you know, the Czech stroke Polish or Polish stroke Czech nymph in of old, you know, that's your indicator system. Uh, well, certainly one of them. Um, and that's kind of where we are. And I'll say that, you know, as recently as probably eight, nine years ago, this whole technique was in the general, um, traditional fly fishing sense, widely known as the devil's work. Uh, <laughs> you know, it was, that's got nothing to do with fly fishing. Oh my God, you can't do that. And, you know, we're happy that over, over the last period of time, you know, it's become widely acceptable. You know, manufacturers are putting their own take on uh, European nymphing tackles so rods, reels, fly lines, da di da da And I'll say in this country, um, that's really in part, certainly a very large part, down to the success of Team USA youth at the international level. Um, I was fortunate enough to know, and I still know, many of the, as we referred to them, the world-class wrecking crew of, of kids from around the US that went out to Europe and just absolutely dominated. Um, you know, they won, I believe, three gold medals as team back-to-back. Uh, you know, that team was phenomenal. And you know, it, it's come back to the US. These kids did so well. And obviously, Team USA um, adults, they started to achieve success at the international level. You know, gold, uh, gold they haven't yet achieved, but they've had silver and bronze. And You know, it's become a thing. You know, it's awesome. You know, people are, you know, we, obviously we work in that part of the industry, well, Nicole and I, and we've noticed that, you know, the regular Joe, if you will, who, eight, nine years ago, would be probably one of those guys, who are, you can't have to stop fly fishing, you know. But now they're doing it because they've realized that it is a really, really cool way to catch a lot of fish in, you know, perhaps water uh, types that they would usually walk past with a bobber and a dry fly because it's too quick. So, yeah, it's, it's become a thing, and it's a good thing.
2: Yeah, it's funny. Um, in fact, yesterday uh, a friend of mine sent sent me a reel in, in, in the box – was a few of these bumper stickers, which I'm sure you've seen, that say, I don't agree with your nymphing. <laughs> and uh, it's so classic that he sent these to me yesterday. I was like, oh, awesome. Yeah, i perfect uh, talking with to Jason tomorrow. Yeah. But uh, this is funny because this just kind of harkens back to, you know, John Geerich famously wrote, uh, there's only two types of people on the river, right? Us and the assholes. Yeah. And yep. uh, so it's the fly fishing nature to criticize what, what the other folks are up to, um, but I think it's funny that there is an aversion. There apparently there's an aversion to your own nymphing, so much so that bumper stickers are being made.
3: Uh, you know, man, it, it's fly fishing.
2: Yep, you know, there's some guys that only swing flies for steelhead. There's some guys that only fish dry flies for steelhead, um, for instance. And if you're doing anything else, then you're kind of below them.
3: Yeah, it's the uh, the wonderful elitist sport that we're all involved in, <laughs> but you know, I, I'll but, tell you, man i i start I started fishing for one reason and one reason alone. That's to catch fish. You know if i if I see a cougar or a bear or an eagle, that's awesome. You know, that's that's just a bonus to being outdoors. But fundamentally, I think my personal opinion, I go out fishing to catch fish, and if I can catch a bunch. Large, small, medium, different species. I've had a great day, and you know, I don't have to come home and say, you know, somebody says, "How was your day fishing?" I was, oh, it's great. I saw an eagle, which basically means you got skunked. Uh, But I'll tell you, you know, I'll, I'll I'll fish a dry. I'll I'll fish a dry dropper. I'll fish a streamer, but you know, if I have to, and that's really the whole point of it for me personally. You know, I mean, well, if you if you
2: fish a lot, like a lot of us do. Um, you become much less picky as yeah. towards the tactic because if I'm a dry fly angler, I'm gonna have a lot of days in the winter time. <laughs> <starting> <laughs> <to
3: dry fly. laughs> yeah, enjoy. So, yeah, so it's just
2: another tool to have in your bag. Um, and it's uh, yeah, and for sure, right now, um, it's a popular popular tactic um, the uh, fly fishing industry um, as it does is keeping up with it and uh and developing you know some specified equipment and uh and you yourself and nicole um have a company called nymph master can you tell me about nymph master
3: yeah that's that's one of the at the moment three companies that we we have um nymph master is the fly tying materials and hook business um, which we launched in actually on nicole's birthday november the 1st 2018 um you know who needs another fly fishing online store right you know that (laughs) they're popping up like every day (laughs) particularly there you go right i mean it's great you know it it puts out more stuff but you know i've had several over the years um in various different countries i guess and you know when we launched uh, nymphmaster.com we kind of decided that we didn't want to be just another online store and uh, you know i'm sure a lot of people say that but so we decided to source products that were not available in north north america You know, and the stuff that we couldn't source, we tapped into our years and years and years of experience of making our own stuff. I mean, you know, I was a commercial fly tire for a long time and, you know, the beads that were around at the time were crap, you know, so I found a guy in Germany who would make them for me because essentially tungsten beads are all made in the same two factories in China, three miles apart, you know, and then people put a different label on them and sure, you know lo and behold a company is born so to speak but we we didn't want to do that so you know we we sourced our own materials for our very exclusive range of dubbing for example and the materials that we use to manufacture that all american materials nothing's imported Um, the natural dubbins that we make you know the pelts that we get actually come from the fashion industry so there's no, you know, naphthalene sprayed all over them to protect them. You know, you can't imagine a model walking down the, the catwalk smelling like, like mothballs. So you know, that's also <laughs> <laughs> funny. We, we can laugh about that, but it, you know, it's a carcinogenic product. Um, you know, that that wonderful smell that we all know and love when we're tying flies, and we pull out a squirrel pelt. That, it's not good for you. Um, so we you know everything that we make is clean everything is american sourced and it's unique to us and we have our own range of barbless hooks again you know hook companies are popping up left right and center all over the world and let's be honest how many hook manufacturers are there in the world unfortunately barbless hooks you know good luck trying to find a source for those in the united states if there was one we'd be using them um you know so you know there's Japan there's South Korea there's you know there's China we don't deal with Chinese companies but you know we we anybody can call these companies and say I want to I want to buy your your barbless hooks out of your catalog and and they do and you know they'll put a label on it and Bob's barbless hooks is born but we didn't want to do that either I mean I have a relationship with these hook manufacturers for for decades so again we went through the process you know hey can we send you our own designs? Can we, you know, perhaps use a, an already existing design but make it a better wire, you know, stronger, more carbon content, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera. So we did that, and our hook range has taken off like a rocket. You know, people are buying them all over the world, and they love them. So that's great, you know. And we have uh, Techstream Fly Tire Materials, you know, which is a, a wonderful Italian company. Really beautifully made materials, um, synthetics, no no natural stuff with those guys. And yeah, I mean, it, it's gone really, really well. You know, we we have a lot of customers all over the globe and that's that business. We also have Master Nymph. Um, <laughs> we manufacture right here in Washington State, you know, specifically designed from the ground up European nymph style rods, if you will and many people have have already hailed them over the last four years as you know the best european nymphing rod on the planet that's great you know we're, we're happy that people are realizing that and that's what we set out to do you know that company's moving forward at light speed right now it never actually had a website for various reasons you know the the website is now built you know so we will be launching a a brand new range of these rods in the very near future. In fact, we'll be launching two ranges. Um, so keep an eye open for that website launch. And the third business we have is Master Nymph Academy, which was born again out of necessity because we got a lot of people calling us who were getting into Euro style nymphing saying, Hey, uh, you've been doing this a long time. Can you show me what to do? And like, yeah, sure. Let's go fish. Um, Obviously, living in Bellevue, we have a lot of uh, a lot of tech companies in the area. A lot of people fish. Uh, they don't have a lot of time. Uh, they do have liquid cash to go out and catch as many fish as they can in the limited time that they have. So, Master Nymph Academy is basically a business that will teach European-style fishing, European-style nymphing to people we' we did we actually launched it last year and you know we, we got a property out in Idaho on the Coeur d'Alene River did several clinics out there and it kind of blew up so quickly that we decided to buy a couple of properties along what I personally think is the best river on the planet out of the 30 however many countries have fished in the world which is Rock Creek in Montana um, you know for our technique if you want to call it that, Rock Creek is wonderful. I mean, you know, that yeah. entire river system is just designed for our type of fishing. So, yeah, this, er, the back end of, of last year, we, we bought a couple of properties along there, which we will be using for the Master Nymph Academy.
2: Gotcha. Cool. Got a lot of arms in the fire.
3: Yeah. Yeah, you got to have, right?
2: <laughs> oh, yeah, no doubt. Um, I, when we were on the Missouri last year, I believe you were fishing with a 10-foot three-weight.
3: Is that right? Ten and a half foot three weight, yeah
2: now why is that tool uh so perfectly suited
3: to your technique? I mean it's a ten and a half foot rod to start with, so obviously that will give you more reach. you can relay this to a high sticking technique you know which is obviously very well known in the states already um so that will give you more more reach, more lift, more control over the fish once you've hooked them. Certainly, if you're dragging them in from the other side of the river, um, the weight system is funny. You should bring that up. That's something that we've we've struggled with um, with European nymphing rods. Quite simply, because you know a two weight is not a two weight. Right. A, th- a three weight is not a three weight. It can't be um, for the simple <laughs> the simple reason you're not throwing a fly line for the most part. You can you can throw a fly line, but you'll find that. You know, if you if you grab a ten foot two weight Euro style rod, it's highly likely that the butt section will pre- probably be a three or a four weight. The tip section may be a one weight or a two weight, and what's in between is not a two weight either. So, and there's a reason for that, right? You need the the power in the butt section to subdue and control the fish, and also to you know lob. It's not really a cast that we do, to be completely honest. It's more of a lob. Heavy flies, you need that accuracy which comes from the the power of the butt section and maybe the, the second section too. But then of course you need the lighter top two sections in order to help you fish the light tippet that we do. And in many cases, we will fish with 7 and 8x tippet almost as standard and wow. still, yeah, still subdue and land fish, large fish in, in really quick time. Um, so we are going to change that system. Uh, when we do actually relaunch uh, Master Nymph, the new range, the new website, we're also making specifically built European nymphing fly lines right up in Colorado with our partners Monic. They'll be launched very soon. Various other things coming down the pipe, but it's a system that doesn't relate to this type of rod because we are not throwing fly line; we are throwing mono. So, how can it be a two or a three, whatever rod? It can uh, There's no connection. So essentially we're going to rebrand that rating system for euro style rods which may or may not hint hint be more akin to a spinning rod system power as opposed to aftma rating because it's it just doesn't make any sense but what what do you do it's the system that's in place it's a system that's been in place for a very very long time and here we are a husband and wife company that will you know and, and that came from our customers more than anything. They're like, you know, dude, this is not a two weight rod. I'm like, I know, but what do you want us to do? Say, you know, put a decal on the side, say, this is not a two weight rod. You know, just as a disclaimer, it isn't, but that's the system that's in place. So we are going to change that. And we're going to confuse a lot of people. That's awesome. Uh, <laughs> you know, to yeah, get a lot of, you, know,
2: you are, it's, it's like, uh, it's like the, what's taking place right now with the switch game, for instance, you know, I mean. Spay casting is super confusing now. The fly fishing industry has done a champion's job of confusing everybody to the point where you need to call or most anglers need an expert, a buddy, someone they can call that really knows it in and out because, you know, uh, a 440 grain head may be what you want or a 420 grain head might be what you want on that switch rod. But everyone is so ingrained like, well, what do I need? A weight forward six? No, you need a four hundred twenty grain Scandi. What the hell is that? <laughs>
3: <So>. <laughs> it's it's like everything else in fly fishing, man. You know, it's I mean, it's a trout spay. I mean, yeah. that's
2: exactly right. Yeah,
3: it's what what is that? I mean, and then you have to go out and study what it is. And okay, there's there's a use for it, but uh, you know, every everybody's trying to innovate, and and that's great for our sport. The more innovation, you know, the better for all of us, and. I'll tell you this, though, man. I mean, a lot of the innovation that you find in fly fishing, in, shall we say, more traditional fly fishing, does come from competitive fly fishing. Because, of course, I've always said, you know, competition breeds innovation. Sure. And it does in any sport. And, you know, I apologize before we actually get stuck into renaming the rating system for Euro rods. I apologize now because it is going to confuse people, but we will try and explain it the best we can. So, yeah, long-winded way of answering your question, I guess.
2: Awesome. Well, could you give me some insight into the seedy underbelly of, of competitive fly fishing? I mean, <laughs> there's got to be a... Come on, man. Do, do the Americans really cheat like they say they do? Oh, boy.
3: <laughs> you're, you're trying to get me lynched. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll, I'll say this. I I worked for the International Sport Fly Fish, Fishing Federation, Fitzmoosh, for a long time, and my role in that organization was uh they they called me the chief of international supervision so i had to arrange a team of volunteers from around the globe who would give up their time and their money to travel the world and essentially monitor the home team during the competition and that was because yeah cheating happened of course it did and and we built this this side arm of the of the federation in order to monitor the home controllers and the uh, sorry the, the home competitors and the reason for that was of course there would be a team an army of volunteers to score people's fish now if you're the home nation you're going to end up with a home nation controller yeah shit. <laughs> you know right. pe- people are going to cheat and they did so we we put this team in place and it and it was awesome we essentially ruled out any possible cheating on the part of the home team but then you'll you'll get competitions out in bosnia for example and you know you've got bosnian controllers saying to i don't know a competitor from an unnamed country (laughs) um saying hey buddy if you give me 50 bucks i'll put like 10 extra fish on your scorecard and yeah people did that and they still do i i wow. you know i resigned from that position because i i was very serious about my my role there and you know i was i was away from my family like three four times a year for two weeks just to monitor and and find cheats i was like the the cheat gestapo you know and (laughs) and when i when i find them and i did and then i report what you know not only me but my team team's findings were nothing was done about it and the reason for that i understand because it's a voluntary sport and if you castrate some guy from bosnia who you caught red-handed cheating The Bosnians ain't coming back next year because they'll be so embarrassed and they'll be like, F you, we're not doing this. We didn't cheat. Because of course, when you get caught cheating, the first thing you do is deny it. And you'll you'll stand your ground till till your death saying, I didn't do it. So what will happen, teams will fall off and it will become a less attended sport, right? And I get that, but it's so frustrating. I mean, I have considered in the past writing a book about the stuff that I experienced as a representative of the organization as as opposed to a you know a competitor myself, and I might do that one day and i'll I'll probably get shot, but you know yeah, I, I'd, I'd wait till you're out of the industry, but I'll know, read it yeah <laughs> you know i I'll probably launch it like a week after I've passed away or something and <laughs> but a bunch of disclaimers, but yeah, I mean it does it does happen and unfortunately it happens. At every single event, I mean, wow! You know, I would wow. love, I would yeah. love to sit here and I would love to hear it. Yeah, I, we're yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: I want to hear about it on the river this summer.
3: Uh, we'll do that's probably the best way to do it. I mean, maybe that's another another podcast for another day or something. You know, the, the cheat reveal by name.
2: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. I assumed that uh, that that was the case, as it is in in any sport. Well, great. So, uh, you'll be out in this neck of the woods more henceforth. Oh, yeah. So that's awesome. Um, when you're, when you're on, for instance, you know, a place like rock Creek and rock Creek gets a lot of angling pressure. Um, and you know, you watch, you watch anglers go through a spot and then you just go, go in behind them and mop the place up. Do a lot of folks then come approach you on the river or obviously they watch, but, uh, but you know, is it, uh, is it unusual for them to come up and, and start chatting with you and uh, figure out what you're up to?
3: Not, not these days. I mean, back in the day, you know, I, I've been spat at. You know, I've had my car scratched. I've had, you know, all kinds of – in fact, I've had a turd smeared all over my back window. I mean, you know, I'm not even kidding. But these days <laughs> – true story <laughs> did, oh my god
2: happened, did you get rid of your your own nymfer uh, customized license plate did you get rid of your vanity plate?
3: <laughs> <laughs> yes yes <laughs> i took the rod vault off the car immediately right i mean <laughs> i am not a rod vault nymfer no um <laughs> no i mean example like last summer um We were out with a a young lady who we we work with from North Carolina, Ali, absolutely wonderful kid and an incredibly talented angler. She's got this long flowing blonde hair, you know, she's tiny and, you know, she is a super fishy girl and obviously Nicole, you know, is dead, dead fishy as well and... We, we, as I said we got this property in in Idaho up in Pinehurst and we started to investigate the area and try and figure out you know good pieces of water for us to do this right because the Coeur d'Alene is a monster river so it's not like you're going to be wet wading or, or or even walk wading most of that river because you will go for a swim it's so deep and big so we, we spent some time finding good places and Ali and I found a place on one day. Nicole was actually driving in the following day and uh, we found this place and, you know, we, we we absolutely annihilated that piece of water and it was a really good day. I, I don't know. We, we fished it for maybe three hours and we both caught, you know, whatever, 60, 70, 80 fish. I don't even know. Beautiful cutthroat trout everywhere, right? Typical Cordelaine. So, of course, Nicole shows up the next day. We're like, let's go back. I show Nicole what we found and we went up there and, there's a guy standing there on this bank and he's lobbing a, a bobber and you know nine foot five weight and i mean there were fish trying to eat his bobber and we we did the right thing we just sat on a log and watched him for about 15 minutes before we sort of passed him and said hey can we go down or i think it was upstream from you and but the guy was missing fish after fish after fish you know and Eventually we walked down to him. I mean he you know, clearly the guy could fish. He had a beautiful cast and, you know, he knew his stuff, but he was just struggling to get one on, on the bank. So we walked past him and I was, you know, I was like, Hey, do you mind if we just move down from you there? And he's like, Sure, but give me some space, you know. And I was like, Yeah, man. And uh we, we ended up about a hundred yards, whatever, upstream from him and of course Ali and I are Euro Nymphing and it's just every cast, pow, 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 and two at a time and nicole to add insult to injury is throwing dry flies and absolutely mopping up and nicole being the wonderful person that she is she came over to me she's like i'm gonna go talk to that guy and i'm like eh, i don't know babe you know this <laughs> you know we're in the middle of nowhere she's like no i'm gonna go and say hi and give him my dry fly i'm like sure so of course we carry on fishing nicole's up there talking to the guy long story short he comes down and He actually owns the cabins right in front of where we're fishing and uh turns out to be a really nice guy and he's like yeah what are you guys doing you know and you know we we ended up showing him a few things and he essentially became a customer right on the bank there and then and that happens these days um but it never used to you know we still get you know dare i say a dry fly purist particularly on rock creek right because there's a lot of dry fly fishermen there and and it's a it's a world-renowned dry fly river and it's awesome but you know we'll get the odd guy like you know kind of snarling at us and you know he'll, he'll walk off in his thigh waders with his pipe and you know his his handmade custom you know mi- micro landing there and that's perfectly fine but you know i will fish dries too and i won't ever criticize a man who just wants to fish dry flies or streamers or eggs or whatever <laughs> you know about catching fish but yeah we a lot of people will come over and say well shit what are you guys doing you know
2: yeah yeah and you know uh the, the way that you handle yourself on the river where you will go up and you ask somebody you know that is the key um etiquette is a hell of a lot more important than the method of fishing that you prefer For sure. so i would prefer that everybody focused on their etiquette and and take note of whatever somebody else is doing and in fish in a manner that doesn't inhibit what they're up to
3: right and you know if that includes not smearing turds on somebody's back window yeah that would be great too (laughs) no i agree with you man etiquette's important
2: for sure um well hey it was really good catching up and uh, i'm looking forward to seeing you more often out here. Uh, I'm stoked that you've taken up hunting. We're gonna have to go out and uh, conduct that activity together a little
3: bit as well. Yes, sir. Absolutely. I can't wait.
2: Yep, me too, man. Well, hey, thanks again, Jason. Uh, Really appreciate your time today, man. And we will catch up soon. Say
3: hi to Nicole. Give her our best. For sure, brother. Appreciate you guys. Thank you.